uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. The Spitfire Podcast is brought to you by the Spitfire Coach, a subsidiary of Lauren Lemonian Coaching, LLC, based in Washington, D.C. If you're interested in getting the passion back in your profession or getting that creative energy flowing in your business, head on over to SpitfireCoach.com. What's going on, Spitfires? I can't believe we've done this many episodes. I'm just having a blast doing it, and I hope you are enjoying listening to it. If this is your first time exploring the Spitfire Podcast, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts or go on to SpitfirePodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe, keep on listening, give us some feedback, rate it, review it, love it, recommend it. It's all good. We love the love. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Spitfire Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome episode of the Spitfire Podcast, the only show, well, that matters in my opinion, but it's for creative entrepreneurs and passionate professionals on their journey to awesomeness and the stumbles that they face along the way. So today we have a creator and innovator. She is a community builder and she is leveraging art in a way that I've never seen done before. And it's super cool. She is a TEDx talker, uh, speaker and motivator influencer. I hate using the word influencer, but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> Philippa Hughes, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. And I hate that influencer word too. I know. I was, I caught myself <laughs> and I was like, Oh, don't do it. <laughs> No, but I, I just mean, had some, what do you think that's about? I mean, when did influencer become such a nasty word? Or do you think it, it was a good word at one point? I don't know. I mean, yeah. influence to me is kind of like, <laughs> it's it could be like, thing. <laughs> is it? I mean, influence is like to have power to inspire, but I never got such like a bad taste in my mouth since like the last two years with Instagram. Okay. Maybe I think of it as a bad thing because I live in DC and mm. like power and influence. I mean, you can use your powers for good and your influence for good, but it's often stigmatized as like you're getting, you know, pork barrel stuff for, you know, like in, in their, in their bills. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in politics, I, I don't think of it as generally a good thing, even though it, it, it can be used for good. <laughs> Interesting. I think I, even in my time living in DC, I have been so disconnected from the political climate okay. that I feel, I feel very contained in my little innocence around words and language, but I could totally see how that would, how yeah. it would skew in that way. But then actually, even in the Instagram world, it's annoying because influencer sound, makes you sound really important. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and you only got important because a lot of people follow you, but like, mm -hmm. why are they following you? Like, what exactly did you do to deserve that following? You posted some cute pictures of yourself. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I feel like if you're going to be a real influencer, like in the way that it seems to me, I sound really snobby right now. <laughs> Not at all. But you, I feel like you should have accomplished something meaningful and significant in life. And yeah. taking a bunch of, you know, cute pictures with filters just does not seem like a big enough accomplishment to me. Right. So it's like influencing without having the, the verification other than the blue checkbox, but yeah. like, what have you done to great to gain credibility? Yeah. What you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. But then I guess you could argue that credibility is that you got people to like you. I mean, I mean, there is a social value to that. I mean, mm -hmm. social, in, social influence is a value. So I don't know. So I'm talking myself into circles right now, but Anyway, so yeah, no, I feel like it's kind of shifted around, but, but yeah. this kind of falls in line of how do you make change happen? How do you get that social adjustments to, to really stick and how do yeah. you get people to connect? Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
I, I, you know, that's a really good point too, is because I, I was, I often lamented the fact that like, like I don't have a ton of money. I don't have a ton of power, like in the traditional sense or whatever, but like, I feel like I've built up social power, mm-hmm. um, social influence. And in fact, I went to this talk once, there's this guy named Eric Liu. Um, he wrote a book, the title, which I cannot remember right the second, but I'll, I'll think of it in a second. Um, about power and how everybody can has the power to make change in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about it more from political perspective, but he really, he has a whole section devoted to social power because mm-hmm. the ability to gather people is, is something very, can be very powerful. Yeah. Well, and I think of going back to influence in that word, uh, when I became a coach and went through the training process, we, we do this thing called the energy leadership index and the whole principle behind it is to, to use empathy to meet people where they are in order to have mm-hmm. positive influence. Mm-hmm. And that's what being a leader is, is who has the most influence at that moment. Oh, that's interesting. Who has the most influence at that moment in that di- in that particular moment, in that dynamic at that? Exactly. In that and leadership can shift around the table okay. in any interaction. Yeah, totally. I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I yeah. really like that idea. Yeah. This is why language just like it geeks me. I geek out on it like tenfold because everybody has a different experience with a single word or phrase yeah. and it can mean something totally different, but the application can shift. Oh my gosh. Um, do you know this guy named George Lakoff? Um, he, I guess he's a neuroscientist who, who retired, but then after the election, he became so annoyed that he like came back, you know, to <laughs> talk about the, his work. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I have to save America. Um, but I, I, I don't want to assume what your political bent is, so I'll just... <laughs> you can assume. <laughs> I'm part of the 98% of DC who okay. voted a certain you way. You know, and I know. And, uh, anyway, um, but he, he is... He, said, he's ta- he talks a lot about... Well, it, it is related to language, but he talks about, like, you know, this idea of people who are normally conservative have, are more drawn to authoritarian hierarchies Mm -hmm. and then people who are more progressive or liberal are drawn to like um you know let's talk about it and like decide together i can't think of the right word for that right now you know what i'm talking about like yeah it's like getting the consensus collaboration consensus building exactly sorry yeah so yeah Yeah, to put that into into the scale of like energy leadership uh level two which is i win you lose is the most common energy that's out there Mm-hmm. And the lower level you are, the, the heavier the weight is. So it actually sucks people down into it. So it's like the least common denominator energy for people because it, it makes sense. It's easy. It's right or wrong, black yeah, or white, exactly. tell me what to do. Yes. But the higher level you go, it takes more to maintain it. Oh, that's interesting. More, so yeah. you have to have other people around you that are supporting you in that. And you have to be constantly checking in with yourself to make sure that you're not depleting. Yeah, it's more work. It is. Oh, well, it can be, but, but that's where like flow comes in and everything else and passion. So you have people, you know, what I noticed after the election is that people got very passionate about their stance. And I was like, you're feeding into the same energy level because you're still in this, my way is the right way, as opposed to coming from, and which is what you talked about in your TEDx talk of like inviting people to dinner to hear what they're saying and, and what they feel and why they think that way. Yeah. So I want to, oh. I want to hear more about that. Okay. Yeah, well, um, to finish my thought on Lakoff, because okay. he talks about how do we change the way we use our language, basically. Like, it's not about saying you're right or wrong. It's just how do you change your language to speak to each other? Yeah. Um, because 
it's not wrong to be conservative or it's not wrong. And it is really to my TED talk too. It's like, it's not wrong to have these different ideas. I mean, it's wrong to be racist. <laughs> I mean, there are some things that we can all agree on that are wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not wrong to believe in different kinds of hierarchy. It's just, it's just different points of view. And so we have to learn how to talk to each other yeah. and in a way that doesn't say you're wrong or you're right, or I'm wrong or I'm right. Like, yeah. It's taking the judgment away from yes, it. Yes. And acknowledging people from having different views. The interesting thing is I've noticed that, you know, racism, like people don't want to touch it with like a 10 foot pole, but bias has become like the replacement word or, mm. um, or ignorant, or there's other terms that people are using instead of it because people are like, no, 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 I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like this cover-up <laughs> thing. It's like no one, no one is like wearing a t-shirt that says, "Hey, my name's Joe. I'm a racist." Yeah. Um, but everyone is like kind of like shielding it with this other piece. So I'm wondering if you've kind of uncovered that in in the work that you've done. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about how my own. Like, okay, what I've really been thinking about more recently is like. I love talking about race because like, how are you supposed to even address the issue? I mean, you have, we have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't like, so I really hate it when we talk around it, like what you're talking about, like the bias and whatever, like it's just racist. Like, why can't we just say that? Yeah. Anyway, so then, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to think about my own racism. Like, we're, because at the end of the day, we're all a little racist at some level, right? So I was like, okay, well, I'm not even going to talk about your racism anymore. I'm going to talk about my own and think about that. And so one time at one of my dinners where I invite Trump voters over, I like said, well, you know what? I'm racist about this. And I know that I'm doing it. So I'm trying not to, but I, you know, here's the thing that I'm racist about. And everybody at the table was like, oh my goodness, I would never like think that I'm not racist. <laughs> Like I was trying to open the door for all of us to like think about it and, you know, and admit, you know, it was so interesting. The reaction was, oh, no, 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 no. That's not not me. Not Not me. me. But but I'm wondering if you asked people to use those terms that we just talked about. So like being biased or or ignorant or um, not knowing or um, the big one is stereotypes. Like, oh, no, that's just a stereotype. If you ask people to define that. And then to categorize like, okay, so what's the difference between these? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. They, they would be able to. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They but they wouldn't that. be able. I think it's anything that has like that really hard line label of mm-hmm. you are this or like it's the ownership. I think it's the awareness and the ownership that, man, I might be hurting somebody else. Like, I think that's a really tough pill to swallow for people. Yeah. I think that's right. I don't, I get, I get, I guess that's right. It's just hard for me to get around my head around like yeah. those conversations because I'm a much around, especially around something like this. I just am a more frank like discusser of these things. I hear you. But so other people, people the, yeah. the frankness actually repels people because they're yes. not ready to go there yet. I mean, if you think about someone who has four to five decades of the storyline that's been written of like how they think, how they feel, what they've been taught, and mm-hmm. you're essentially ripping the bandaid off of it and they've got a gaping wound under it. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I know that, and I know that. And so I've been, so I have been trying to sort of like, like pull myself back a little bit, but also I, I also feel like I don't, I feel like treating things with kid gloves doesn't work really, yeah. you know, like at this, at some point, we're just going to keep talking around it because sure. you're too gen, you know, you're too much of a snowflake to hear this. You know, that's another thing that just bugs me. Like, you know, they're like, oh, you liberals are such snowflakes. I'm like, who's the snowflake here? Like, you can't even like, talk about this. 
Yeah. Well, I would say keep ripping the band-aids off. I mean, the funny thing is, so I, I have this whole brand of the Spitfire coach and Spitfire podcast, and I avoided the name after I came up with it because two people told me that it was too harsh. It was too frank. It was too aggressive. Yeah. And I went by my name as a coaching brand and it hasn't been until like I started the podcast that I really started using it because I'm like, wait, this is who I am. I'm bold. I'm in your face. I'm going to ask you the hard questions, but I was tiptoeing around it because I was afraid of the assumptions and afraid of hurting people's feelings. You know, okay. This is like, we are really going off the rails here, but (laughs) like that is something that I've been afraid of my whole life. Like just constantly, I don't want to offend anybody. And I want to like, like bring people together in the middle, but, and I still want to bring people together, but I still want to, what I'm not afraid of as much anymore. I'm still working on it. It's like putting a stake in the sand and saying, no, or a flag, or I can't, I am not doing well with my words today, but you know what I mean? Like saying, this is what I stand for. And I think people are attracted to those who stand for something, who feel passionate about something. Yeah. And that doesn't, but that doesn't discount the fact that you can still have a conversation and civilized conversation, in which everybody gets to express their views and me, and, and you still get to stand for the thing that you believe in. Yeah. But think about how many other people are kind of watering down their message or aren't speaking up because they're afraid of being perceived as, you know, whatever derogatory term we can come up with. I mean, that's the part of the problem with politics that has been been a problem with politics is that, you know, a criticism of politicians is they'll say whatever is necessary for that moment. And and so sort of the backlash to that is now we're all polarized, you know, there's, we can't seem to like, come some like maybe it's not possible i don't know but like how can we have our convictions and still come together and compromise in ways that make sense for everybody i think the key is what we're doing right now is listening yeah so so you you came in and had a whole different view of what influence was and by (laughs) by listening by me listening to you and you listening to me and us kind of like oh well that that can mean this that's where understanding comes from but i think what's been happening is people are so defensive about what they stand for because they're already like planning on being criticized and their ears aren't open and their hearts aren't open. Yeah, that's right. They're planning on being criticized. Yeah. I mean, it's it's happened. I mean, we've built the case for it. Oh, it's, it's definitely happening. Yeah. Um, No, that's a really good way to put it. So, yeah. So it's, it's interesting because we have a lot of parallels. Like you invited Trump supporters to dinner. Um, I started a Monday night potluck in my building two years ago where we have congressmen, we have actors, we have people from uh, nonprofits that live in my building, break bread together once a week. That's awesome. How many people come? 20 to 30. Oh my gosh. It started with me and my neighbor. We cooked too much food when we were grilling out. We started inviting people and it just, the snowball went. And so the rule is you bring a bottle of wine or something to share and you just chill out and everyone just like puts their their nonsense of the day away. And we wanted people to look forward to Mondays. You do it every Monday, every Monday. That's incredible. It's so great. Like, I'm really impressed. People who move out of the building come back just to do yeah. this. Um, I was going to start doing a thing on Wednesdays called on Wednesdays. We drink pink. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like a rosé day? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just, I'm, I have a hard time committing to something every single week. And I feel yeah. like, kind of have to be really consistent about stuff like that. Well, that's the key thing about this is so we started it, but it is very much turned into a self-sustaining thing. So if you can go, Um, great. If you can't, the show still goes on. Yeah, that's cool. 
So even when there's only like four people, people still come. And do you facilitate conversation anyway, or is it just sort of like, come? Yeah. So that's the catch. I do a question of the night. So uh, Mm -hmm. my favorite one was if you had to pick a celebrity to be uh, a Supreme Court justice, who would it be? (laughs) That's awesome. And it was a fun like range from like, you know, Oprah to comedians and like random people. Um, That's fun. But I'm actually, um, yeah, well, I, so I, I mean, I really like dinner parties, obviously. And so I actually recently just donated a Jefferson dinner to the N Street Village Gala. You know this group, N Street Village? They're no. Really, they're awesome. Um, they, they provide services to homeless women, often ones with addiction, down in Logan Circle. And so anyway, I donated this dinner. And so uh, eight or ten people bought seats at the dinner table. And so I've organized what is called a Jefferson dinner. It's really interesting. Thomas Jefferson used to host dinners for, that included his political opponents because they were like basically trying to figure out how to like form a government, you know, mm-hmm. out of nothing. And so there, there was a lot of disagreement. So we just invited them over for dinner and they would like hash it out. And it was in one of the websites I was reading about him is that they're like, oh, and he was the first foodie because he like literally had a farm to table <laughs> um, dinner table. That's awesome. so I thought that was kind of cute, but um, you know, it, it, like there's some people credit him with having saved our Republic because like there was so much disagreement that they worried that they couldn't even like figure out what it would look like, what our government would look like all through conversation over food. Very cool. Uh, and there's sort of a, a set of rules around how you do the dinner. So anyway, the first one is coming up and I'm very excited to see. When it. is that? In May. And yeah. um, so the people who signed up for it, I don't know them. Mm-hmm. So that'll be, who knows who they are. So what I, did, and then what I did was I filled up the rest of the table with people. Like one guy is the editor in chief of the American conservative, you know, like people who probably have different viewpoints than the mm-hmm. rest of us. And then my topic is going to be um, to talk about economic inequality. Mm. And so anyway, so I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I'll report back. And let you I'm, know. I'm excited here. I mean, I see like a general movement of like breaking bread with people who don't think the same way as you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely read about other people and groups across the country trying this model. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think it's great and I hope more people do it. I mean, it's just a very slow, it needs to become a movement or something, right? Because like, it's a very slow process for me to have one dinner a month or even every two months or, and then you do your thing, you know, like, yeah, lots, we need to get lots of people doing this. Yeah. Well, it's like, instead of reaching across the aisle, you just need to talk across the dinner table. Totally. And just make a difference in your own neighborhood. Like this is sort of my idealism. It's like, just invite people over that you know that you you know that you're curious about mm-hmm. who you might not normally have a dinner with they start inviting people that you know you don't have to like you know ha- I mean your dinner is in your na- in your home or your condo building is like part of a greater movement if we're all doing it mm-hmm. yeah I mean I I think about like so aside from that I'm relatively antisocial when I can be because I just like to mm-hmm. chill out a little bit mm-hmm. um and my boyfriend likes to make fun of me. He's like, having one person over a month is not <laughs> quite a social life. I do go out a lot. But when I'm invited somewhere, then I feel that commitment and accountability to show up. So it's almost like the people who are more committed to this, that they are steering the invite 
and making people feel welcome and mm-hmm. extending that. Cause I think that, you know, when we talk about having our guard up and, and feeling like blocked and not wanting to share, if people are coming into the home of someone that they know doesn't think the same way, like how do they, how do they create that environment for just feeling welcome? It's really hard. Um, in fact, when I have been doing my Trump dinners, I call them Trump dinners. I should call them something else. Um, <laughs> you know, most people at first are, nobody ever says, yeah, right away. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I think you need a rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, I mean, especially the Trump supporter, you know, they're very skeptical at first. And the main reason is because they're afraid they're going to get yelled at. just like you said, like, <laughs> um, so yeah. Ha- so I have to, I do a lot of just, I work in terms of like convincing them that no, like this really is about talking Mm -hmm. and just civil dialogue. But to go back to, I think where we started a little bit, um, the idea of um, uh, arts as like, if I say, yeah, but you know what, like I'm really into art. And like one time we we actually made a little art piece together, you know, like it, it is, art isn't an useful tool for reframing a conversation. So it isn't just about thinking you're just going to sit there and argue with somebody. Um, yeah. So how, how have you used art to reshape or reframe the conversation? Um, so for example, one time, <clears throat> um, do you know this thing called exquisite corpse? Mm-hmm. So what, it's a kind of a little party game where you, um, you draw. You, okay. The first person draws like the head and then you fold the piece of paper down so the next person can't see it. And then they draw the body. Uh-huh. And then the next person, you fold that down. And then the next person draws the bottom. And they open up. And you're like, oh, look. Ha-ha, isn't that so cute? Like, so we did that. Uh, I said, oh, we're going to write poetry together. And so we did that with a poem on a theme. So the first person wrote a line on the theme and then folded that. And the next person and so on. And then we read the poem out loud at the end. It was beautiful. Like, it was weird how well wow. all the lines worked together. That is poetry so, in motion. Yeah. It was so cool. I, I don't know if that'll, we never, I never did it that particular. You got to do that again. again. I need to do That's that again. Awesome. I was like, oh my God, like that was amazing. <laughs> what a, like, it worked. Well, what's funny is, so I've been doing these creative placemaking, creative placemaking projects and I've gotten some pretty good press and, I'm, and I've actually been speaking at different conferences about some, pro- some pretty big projects I did in the last couple of years. So I feel like, oh, like, okay, this seems like a thing that, that I can do. Okay. So Today, I was like feeling very stressed out before I got on this call with you because I'm in the middle of negotiating with somebody who's like kind of a friend and she wants me to do this project for her, but she wants me to do it for less money than what I want to do it for. And it's not even just what I want to do it for. Like, it's going to take a lot of time, like an effort and like it's this project is worth what I told you. I'm, I'm really not trying to like inflate it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyway, so we're going back and forth and I'm just really frustrated because like there it's, it's, there's like this real problem with knowing your value and your worth and really negotiating that. And then, but then I'm like fearful because I'm like, but I can't, I just feel weird about leaving money on the table basically, even though it's not enough money, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to say no to some money. Yeah. But what are you saying? What are you saying? Yes. What are you saying? Yes to by not saying no. By not saying no. I'm mm-hmm. saying, I'm, well, what, you know, like I'm saying I'm really not worth that amount of money. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what I find, especially with my clients, and I deal with this myself, is that any time that I get into the story of the other person where they're like, I can only do this, I can only do this, then I show up differently. I don't show up in my full force and power. Whereas if you have the negotiation of they're saying, I have this budget, and you look at what you're proposing and saying, well, for that, it's going to look like this. But what ends up happening is because you're an artist, you want to please, like you're like, I need to create my vision then it becomes scope creep. And then you feel taken advantage of. Oh, 100%. That has totally happened to me where I'll be like, okay, I'll just do less. And then I still end up doing what I was going to do anyway. And then I feel resentful. And then like, yep, Yep. totally. Oh, yes, that will definitely happen. So yeah, yeah, so that that alone is a good, a compelling reason to say no to. And here's the thing. If you say no now, money can show up later. Yeah. But you don't say yes until the money shows up to meet you at your value. Yeah. I've, I've walked away from clients where they're like, you know, I can't make this work. And I'm like, you can do a session at a time. But like, I know that you're worth it when you're ready to invest in yourself. Yeah. Come find me. But anytime that I've got into their story, I'm like freaking out about money of like, well, this is more than nothing. Then I feel like crap in the end. Yeah. I got it. Like, I know. Yes. And art is so emotionally based that you got to be a hundred percent dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's frustrating too is like, I, I, I'm I'm also already feeling resentful because here's a person who's supposed to be like supporting the artist. And I'm like, you're trying to undercut me. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. And we're not in a barter like negotiation culture. So like if we were, if we were in other countries where it's like, if you don't barter, it's disrespectful here, when someone tries to lower the price on us, we're like, whoa, 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 you're disrespecting me. Yeah. But some people are just, their way of winning is saving a couple bucks. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think she's doing that, but I, I, I do feel undercut, you know, like you're, oh, and then of course, I also know how much she's paying this other person. <laughs> uh, see, that's what it's really about. It's a comparison of I like. I have to admit that is yeah. like part of like, I can't believe this. I was almost willing to take it until like I learned about this other number. Yeah. Information. I mean, but yeah. when you can remove the emotion from it, yep. from this situation, when you can take away the relationship and look at it as dollars and cents on paper, if yeah. it was anyone else who came to you with that, would you have said yes? No. Exactly. Yeah. No. So this, this is where the relationship much. muddies it up. Yeah. Yeah. Pull back. Okay. I got to write that down actually. <laughs> well, yeah. you have this recorded. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> I know, but I got to talk, you know, that, so this is so frustrating. Like, it's like, this has to, this, we have to seal the deal today basically. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a whole other story. Unless the check is in the mail with the right amount. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But by saying no to this, you're saying yes to other things, other opportunities to come up and your value being increased. Yeah. Okay. Well, I apologize to your listeners for making this all about me in this respect. (laughs) You know, what's really interesting is to me, (laughs) the more conversations I have like this, the more that the listeners get out of it. Like nobody wants to hear about like the sound bites of your career of like, I'm so great and wonderful. Like you're a real person. You're doing amazing things, but you, you know, you're struggling just like the rest of us with like, saying no to friends and like feeling your worth. You know, and it's funny because um, I'm actually working on a little blog post um, because what I really want to do with my life ultimately is to be a writer. That's a whole other conversation, obviously. Um, And so I've been trying to blog more because, you know, you can't call yourself a writer unless you're writing. So I've been trying to be writing more. And anyway, so I've been working on a piece about how, like about how people see you and then how you present yourself. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and and how you, 
how you think you really are. Because I've, I've had two pictures taken of me recently where I'm like, one, I'm like made up and my hair's all done. I mean, I look cute. And I'm wearing this really cute dress. And I'm like, ah, and I'm in this great magazine. And then there's this other piece that this friend, this video that he's, he's made of me where the still from it, like, I look so different. Like, I, it doesn't even look like the same person. But in mm -hmm. this one, and from this video still, like, it's so raw. And like, like my eyes are welled up with tears because we were having this conversation about, you know, immortality and life and what we really wanted. Like, and I thought, oh my God, like, that's who I really am. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, but I am all those things, ultimately. Like, we're so much more. We're, we're oh. many things. We're multitudes. But it is funny how I do think people see me as this one, like, image. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but, but I'm really scared about things. And here are the things I'm really scared about. Like, I'm not fearless. No, but, it, but it's interesting. I've noticed this about me, too, because people are like, you've got it all together. Like, you're mm -hmm. killing it. But when I come out with, like, a video or a blog where I'm just like, this is me and this is real, it's sharing my story but not my diary. So it's mm -hmm. allowing people to be like, we all have it. But it's not the nitty gritty, like, what was me pity party. Um, yeah. But it's like, here's the process of this. Yeah, yeah. But I think this is what happens when we get put on the pedestal and almost like at this guru status of like people like, she's got it all together. And then we feel the pressure to show up as that perfect image all the time. And it's, it's not realistic. It's not real. Like, I can't do fake lashes ever. Um, <laughs> no. and, and it's just not good for us. But it's like, how do you show up as your real self? while still having that like allure of being in control and being a leader and being professional. Yeah. Yeah. How? And having it all together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, how, how do you do that? Cause yeah, it's exhausting to like always be that person. On. Yeah, yeah. That on. Yeah. It's and I don't think you have to be, but I think it's, no. it, it's the dial. And this is actually what I'm writing about in my book of like embracing and discovering your inner spitfire, but knowing like when to dial it up, and when to dial it back. Yeah. Because I think when you get in this expectation of having to be dialed up all the time, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah. I think I was just about to say, I think I'm just dialed up too much, you know, too often. And yeah, yeah. I'm not good. I'm not good at dialing down. Yeah. It's a practice. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just like, I know when I overdo it, like I feel exhausted. Like I just went to this awful small business expo, like never doing this again. Cause mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of people sales pitching. And I was like, Oh, this is gross. Um, but I was, I was feeling depleted because I was having to network with people I didn't want to network with because mm -hmm. I was in this speed networking experience. But I realized like when I talk to people who are my peers, who I get really excited about themes, like I can dial it back and I'm just, I'm listening and I'm mellow. But if I'm all the way up, then it's all about me at that moment. Mm -hmm. <sighs> You're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, most, I mean, and the thing is, I totally agree. And most of the time I think I'm there, like, mm -hmm. like today, I think like today I'm like feeling Today's a little day. lack of self-confidence today. Like I'm a little bit like, oh, what am I doing? Uh, yeah. You know, so. Uh, Welcome to being human. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But it's the reminder of the intention behind what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you were to look back five years from now on this situation, what would you have wished you had told yourself? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. know what you need to do, but it's like, what is that like gnawing theme in the back of your head that's telling you that you're not worth it? Yeah. I know exactly what I need to do. 
Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I've told my business partner on this, like, I, it's just, this is a totally emotional, emotion-driven yeah. decision for me right now, even because I absolutely know that we have to say no. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you can say yes later on, but you can say no at this moment. Yeah. Situation's not right. Oh. Yeah, too many big <laughs> things going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like live coaching. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's funny because like I've I've had different people in my life sort of trying to coach me. <laughs> I'm like, sometimes I'm uncoachable. <laughs> we all are. I'm paying the yeah. ass sometimes. I'm like, no, yeah. I don't want to do it. You want to have your like little bratty moments of like, don't tell yeah. me what to do. Do you um, have a coach? I do. Yeah. I have a couple. <laughs> like yeah. I have a whole network of coaches that I tap into. Right, right. Um, but it, yeah, I think, I think having someone who's completely, uh, unbiased and actually their only bias is to make sure you're successful and to hold you to your, your accountable line, yeah. um, is amazing. Yeah. Like I have someone that I talk to three times a week for 10 minutes at a time. I call them engine calls and all I'm doing is checking in with her to see if she is on target with what she says she wants to do. Wow. Yeah. And gosh, I mean, how, I, what if she isn't, what do you, then what happens? We troubleshoot. And there's a lot of days that she's oh. not, she's got a lot of stress okay. going on in her life, but you can have setbacks. You can have days that you're like, you know what? I'm not feeling motivated, but we need to figure out why and what's going on. Because basically what we've uncovered is she's in a really unhappy relationship. That's not good for her. Mm-hmm. And every time I talk to her, she's boosted up. She's feeling awesome. And then I talk to her in two days and it's like, I'm having a bad day again. And then we get her back up. So she's now at this point of like, how many more months do I need to go through this cycle mm-hmm. of like setting myself up for feeling good and then the drop because this per- person is threatened by her growth. Like she's changed her job. She's getting paid more. She's taking care of herself. She's working out. And when someone's not at that level to support you, then it's like all hell breaks loose because mm-hmm. they're, they're like, what does this mean about me? Mm-hmm. It's threatening to them. It is. But this yeah, happens like, with friends and family mm-hmm. and ex- especially the people closest to us of significant others. Yeah. I like that idea of constant troubleshooting because like I'm in my head so often, like I'm just like, Oh, what should I do? And like, just, it just, if I could just ask somebody else. Yeah. It's like phoning a friend whenever you need it. Yeah. And like, like, she, she, go ahead. Oh, you know, I mean, I phone friends all the time, but it's like, it's like, they don't really know, you know, like they're, they're emotionally invested in me. They are. They (laughs) want to make sure you're happy, but it's like Mm -hmm. immediate gratification versus long-term strategy. Yeah. 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 So. Luckily, most of my friends are coaches. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good. And I've got like a whole network of um, female entrepreneurs that we troubleshoot like experiences with too. So that's awesome. Yeah. The social network of, of support, not in the way that you need to feel coddled and okay, but like challenge to be better than you are is so important. That's yeah, Totally. Do you get this in the art community? So it, it's funny. I, I was binging Project Runway the other day and there were these two designers who were like, oh my God, you're so amazing. Your stuff is great. This is fabulous. Work it, work it. Yes. And both of them were in the bottom because they were feeding into the feelings of you're so great. And I think you're so wonderful as opposed to like being objective and being like, your stuff sucks. Yeah. Um, or you should work on this. So yeah. how, how do you get that feedback in the art world? Well, it's really hard because um, I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not an artist. I'm not a, a event planner. Like I do so many different things. Like I, I'm very undefined. So mm-hmm. it is really hard to find 
peers in, in the sense of who else is doing the stuff that I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking about with artists, like one of the big complaints they have, like when they, when they get out of art school is when you're in art school, you have crit groups, like critique groups. And like, it's so great. And then you get out and like, then you're in your studio by yourself. Yeah. So they're constantly looking for, for group dynamic like that. And so, so I was thinking, how could I get a crit group? Like, it's basically like having mentors or something, right? I guess. Or yeah. Maybe a personal, I've been thinking about like, maybe I need a personal advisory board or something like that. It's your board of directors. Like a personal board of directors. Yeah. yeah. I wrote a blog on that a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. But it's who, like, who, who, who do you go to for finance? Who do you go to for operations? Yeah. Who do you go to for like overall mission? Yeah. So, so I've thought about that a lot, except, I mean, and they, right. I could find somebody to help me with the finance stuff, like specific things, but mm-hmm. I really, it's, I really cannot think of anybody who's kind of like this broad generalist that I am, that it's, it's, I, I need, I do actually need a little bit of emotional support at some point at some yeah. level too. Yeah. It's like the cheerleader, but also the swift kick in the butt when you need it. Yeah. So, so I don't know, maybe I'll give some more thought to like, there must be somebody who's like just all over the place like me or maybe that's my problem I'm too much all over the place Uh, you know what I find and I have a lot of clients like you is that you cannot laser focus on one thing because it will dry up your creative well like you have to have your hands in multiple things to be inspired and to layer on things that's right but it's harder to make sort of a business out of like I do all these things so if you can think of it like a, a wheel like a spoke what is at the core Mm-hmm. And then how does it spindle out? Right. Yeah. And that's the business. Yeah. yeah. But they, but they feed into each other. So people have asked me, they're like, wait, you have a podcast, you're writing a book, you blog, you coach and you speak. And I was like, yes, but it's all under the Spitfire brand. Yeah. So everything feeds into itself. Yeah. How come you use Spitfire and not your name? Um, I did. So I did my name, but I feel okay. like it's number one, people can't spell my last name or pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spitfire, I feel like you get it from hearing it of what it, mm-hmm. what it's about. Like you get that immediate reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And part of what I'm doing is redefining what a Spitfire is. Yeah. I like it. Cause in the dictionary, it is negatively connotated to women. It is. Like, it what's, is. What's the connotation? It's like someone who, um, is fiery with their words, who doesn't care if they hurt people, who's mm. irrational and emotional and reactive. Oh, that's interesting. The only, the only definition that I found that I remotely liked was in Urban Dictionary. It was someone who's wild and free and yeah. unapologi- unapologetically them. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I adapted it a little bit more in my book, but yeah. I'm like, that's what it is. It's like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be a woman to be a spitfire. You don't have to be some crazy lunatic that like, you know, flies off the handle, but it's like owning your personal fire and communicating in a way that's attractive to you. I, that's funny because I've always thought of Spitfire as like a cool thing. Like, Me too. Like, real Spitfire. Like she just does what she wants. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that says to me that the dictionary, mm-hmm. like dictionary.com and all of those need to update because it's yeah. very old fashioned. Yeah. So do you define yourself as a Spitfire? I'm becoming more of a Spitfire. I mean, I think I, I spent too much of my life being a pleaser of people. And I don't think you can be a pleaser and a Spitfire at the same time. <laughs> interesting why not um, because well because I think when you're trying to please others you give up some part of yourself like mm-hmm. and that's sort of getting back to what I was saying about being more of a person who puts a stake in the sand it's like I'm not trying to offend people but mm-hmm. I'm also not going to change I don't want to change what my own beliefs 
to please you, which is what yeah. I think I used to do too much. When did you make the shift? Well, I mean, I feel like a lot of life stuff has happened that made me make that shift. In fact, that's a, something I want to write about is you, it's, it's too, I, I wish I hadn't had to have like sort of these life catastrophes to make me change. Like, so how can, how can we like lean into things in our lives that, that can help us become more spitfires yeah. um, without terrible things happening? Like I'll, I usually, I, I point to like getting divorced was mm-hmm. like the most painful thing that I've ever had to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually initiated the divorce. Like I, me too. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I mean, I like my ex. He's an awesome person. Yeah. But yeah, it was so painful. Yeah. And someone asked me like, so like there's this whole feeling of like the wake up of like when you acknowledge your own power. And so someone asked me, they're like, do you feel like people have to have that rock bottom experience so that they can see out of it? And I'm like, not always, but it's just usually happens that way because there's nowhere else to go but up. I, I do think that having a rock bottom really facilitates it. That is it sure, sure does. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more efficient. It accelerates, but yes. yeah, exactly. So but how, yeah, I, I'm really interested in like, how can we have those experiences? How, how can we do this without having those experiences? Well, it's almost like it simulating it without actually doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or maybe, and yeah. that's a little bit of where the p- empathy piece comes in. Like, how can we feel that without having to, actually get divorced or actually so my other thing that I tried to write a whole book one summer I went away for the summer to write a book and I wrote a lot Mm -hmm. I tried to write about uh, my experience with cancer and I feel like that like I mean everything I wrote that summer I think is probably one chapter it's not a whole book Mm -hmm. but I thought oh I don't want everybody to get cancer (laughs) yeah but I learned so much from that experience like I mean that was really like a turning point for me, like such a cliche, but it's true. I was like, Oh my God, like I saw my whole life flash before my eyes basically. Mm-hmm. And like, I do want to be a different person and I don't have a, we don't have time. Like even if you're 22 years old or you're 32 years old, like you don't have that much time left. Yeah. Well, time, time is an illusion. It's like, you can't hold on to it. You can't control it. It's going to happen whether you're on board with it or not. So what do you totally. want to do with it? what do you want to do with it? And like, especially like what you're like for a person like me, like I have so many interests and so many things I want to do. You, I literally, I was reading this article about like you, even if you try, even if you only read books, you still couldn't read all the books you want to read. If you're like a good reader, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, Oh, I don't know. Something about that really put it into perspective for me. Like, Oh wow. I'm never going to read all the books I want to read. Yeah. Even I mean, if, if you- I only spent all my time reading books. Right. And there's more books coming on top of and that because there's more books. the books. Yeah. Exactly. Because there's more books coming. And anyway, I, something about that just brought it home for me about like time and yeah. how, little, how little time we actually have. Yeah. So let's put a time frame on it. Let's say like we're having a conversation two years down the line. What are we going to be talking about? <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm planting seeds. It's what I do. Yeah, that's good. You're good. You're good. Um, well, the first, I should just say the first, I was like, not going to say the first thing that popped into my head because I'm like, oh, it's going to be so embarrassing when that doesn't happen in two years. I'm just going to say it. Say it. <laughs> in two years, like I need to have finished this book that I claim to have been writing for so long. 
Like, this is just ridiculous. This okay. could be done. So are we having the launch party in two years? Are we? Oh, okay, that's good. A launch mm-hmm. party. Mm-hmm. All right. Two April years. 22nd, 2020. Yeah. My launch party is going to be on my birthday this year. When is your birthday? September 24th. Okay. I'm writing this down. Should we do it in the DuPont Underground? Oh, that could be interesting. Hey. I don't know, but fire probably wouldn't work down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. We can't have any open flames down there. <laughs> we could have, like, illusions with lights, though. That could be kind of cool. Um, this is so interesting. I will, I will happily help you with your book launch, by the way. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm super into this. Spitfire. Yes. But, um, September 24th. Okay. Planting seeds. It's last. I'm, um, yeah, no, no. That's cool. My birthday is in October. And Are you a Libra or yeah. is me too? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. This is funny, but um, yeah. So and it's kind of, it's not only a big birthday, but it's also the five year anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. Wow. So after five years, like it's official. It's sort of official. Like, okay, you're fine. What are you doing to celebrate it? So I've been like, I, I, I don't, I, I, I want to go big on it, of course, yeah. <laughs> but I haven't, I have so, so many different ideas. Like I want to have a destination birthday. But that'll like cut out a lot of people, I think, that would want to come, but they just really can't. Yeah. Wow. You can think of this like a wedding. So you can have the destination one for like a select group and then have like the reception. Yeah, afterwards. totally. Yeah. So then I, I totally have thought about that. Yeah. Then come back and just have like a mega blowout party. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I think you should do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. We'll see. We'll see. Well, this is fun. Is there anything that you, that you feel like you haven't gotten off your chest today that, that you've just been itching to talk about? <laughs> I don't know, but this definitely feels like a phone call with a friend and not like, oh, I keep forgetting. Oh, right. We're recording a podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of my master plan. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, well, I would love to talk to you again at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I, maybe you could be on our podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think that'd I be really love fun. To. Yeah. That'd be really fun. So this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Fantastic. So if people want to learn more about the Pink Line Project, where should they go? Um, well, actually, I, I've, the Pink Line Project website now is really just about signing up for this weekly email in which I make my art picks every week because there's cool. like so much information out there. So my thought is like, I'm just going to tell you what, you know, I think you should go to. So sign up for that. But okay. yeah, my, the stuff about me is just on my personal website. Okay. And we'll have, we'll have a link to your website. So it's philippahughes.com. Awesome. Well, we will put this in the show notes and thank you so much for playing with me today. This was fun. This was awesome. Thank you. So so if you want to have a live coaching (laughs) episode, you can Uh, sign up at spitfirepodcast.com. Yeah. Ah, Oh my gosh. It's fun. Well, thank you so much. And I'll let you get back to saying no and saying yes to you. And for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome. Thanks so much for checking out another awesome episode of the Spitfire Podcast. Go ahead and check out spitfirepodcast.com. Follow us, like us, share us, review us, rate us. We love you. Stay tuned for another episode next week. We come out every Monday morning. Check you later. <laughs>